remember when a company chooses to pay a dividend, it's choosing to set aside, you know, sometimes a meaningful portion of its excess cash to go out the door to uh, shareholders. Therefore, it can't reinvest that cash in, in projects that might not work out or might not generate high returns on capital. And, and again, if you study history of companies, the biggest companies of today won't be the biggest companies of tomorrow. And that's because a lot of companies really struggle to invest at high rates of return over long periods of time. I'm Chris Hill, and that's Motley Fool's senior analyst, Matt Argusinger. We're going more in-depth on dividends. Matt joins Anthony Chavone and Ricky Mulvey to continue their conversation about investing in companies that pay some of their profits to shareholders. First, let's hit a couple of basics. I don't think we really uh, hit on this in last week's show, but I think it's worth bringing up. We always talk about dividend stocks as kind of this like stodgy old thing, but I think there's a really compelling case that younger in- investors, people earlier in their investing journey, should really pay attention to the value of compounding dividends. Absolutely, Ricky. I think it's 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 one of those I don't know misnomers if that's the correct word, but there's a sense if you're a younger investor that you shouldn't care about dividend companies. You've got decades to invest. Go for the hot home run growth stocks, and and leave the dividend stocks for yeah stodgy old guys like me. Uh, but I I think that is is a terrible way of approaching it because dividend stocks are amazing, and I'll, I'll illustrate it. I think with this one statistic, which is is just mind blowing. So Anthony found this data point that's it's it's almost unbelievable. It's from S and P Global. If you go back to 1930, I know that's a long time ago, but if you invested one dollar in the S and P 500 in 1930, that $1 would have turned into about $197 uh, by June 2021, so last, last summer. So that's almost 200x in roughly 90 years. Fantastic. But if you also reinvest the dividends you got from that $1 investment, that $1 would have turned into, get this, Now, that that feels almost impossible, but it's not because by reinvesting those dividends, you're compounding an increasingly large number of dollars. So, over many years, that results in in really exponential gains in total return. Anthony, actually, there was that unbelievable Coca Cola example that you and I talked about uh, on the dividend show like a month ago. It's pretty incredible. So, the price of a single share. Of Coca-Cola at its 1919 IPO was $40, and that's on a non-split adjusted basis. Um, so if you bought that single $40 share of Coca-Cola at its IPO and reinvested all the dividends, you would have netted about a total return of about 21 million um, by 2019, a, a century later. But even more impressive, that single share, which has been split many times over the last century, would be generating nearly 600,000 dollars in annual dividend income, assuming you reinvested all dividends. So I would say that's a pretty good yield on cost there. (laughs) And you hung on through Coca-Cola taking cocaine out of the drink itself, which some might call a thesis change. Right. Yeah, you went through some upheaval. But yeah, $40 into 21 million and paying you six hundred thousand dollars today in dividend income. It's it's mind blowing. Now None of us are able to invest for 90 to 100 years. Uh, most of us won't even live that long. But compounding dividends can work even over much shorter timeframes. For example, let's say you started with just $10,000 today, you added $200 a month, 
and invested in just you know an average basket of dividend stocks, paying you know say an average dividend yield of three percent. Very easy to find today. As long as you keep investing and reinvesting the dividends, and if history is any guide, you'll have over one million dollars in thirty years. Or let's say you're a little older, you're a little bit wealthier. You could start with a hundred thousand dollars, add a thousand dollars per month in new cash. You'd have almost two million dollars in less than twenty years. So there, that just shows you. I think the key, of course, is to get started as soon as you're able, and above all, keep investing and adding new money, and keep reinvesting those dividends. Uh, and what what that can do to your wealth, even if you're a young person and you don't think dividends are cool, it's it's pretty magical. One caveat to that, I would say though, is one of the appeal of dividend stocks is that you can continually get a dry powder for new investments. So there is a trade-off of not reinvesting your dividends. Absolutely, and well, yeah, and you can you can choose not to automatically reinvest the dividends and just get that cash that comes in and then sort of deploy as you see fit, and even deploy that cash into non-dividend companies. But I think it's just that power of having that extra yield when you make an investment in a dividend company that that yeah brings like you said brings you dry powder brings more cash into your account that you can then reinvest in your best ideas. Yeah, it sounded like I was disagreeing with you but I wasn't actually disagreeing with you. That's the magic of podcasting. <laughs> Moving on. Let's look at some of the frameworks you guys have laid out for finding a sustainably high dividend payer. Uh, Matt, you want to walk through that and then um, basically how investors can view that framework. Sure. So we did this. Uh, we did this special show, I guess, on the dividend show. By the way, uh, if you're a member of any of our Motley Fool services, you can catch the dividend show on Motley Fool Live. It's every Friday at 10:30 a.m. Eastern. Sorry, Ricky had to had to put that plug in. So on the dividend show, we did this exercise looking at high yielding dividend pairs, and we asked three questions: Is the is the dividend for real? Um, so is that seven, eight percent, ten percent yield really reflective of what the company was paying now? Uh, two, is the dividend sustainable, meaning is the payout ratio reasonable and our current and future earnings able to support the dividend and grow it over time? And three, simply, has the stock of the company been a good investment over time? You know, we, the, I know the old saying, past performance is no guarantee of future results, which is true. But I think when it comes to dividend payers, especially, uh, history can tell you a lot about the future. So that was kind of the three questions we posed as we were kind of analyzing um, high yielding dividend payers to see if those dividends were, were for real. All right, let's look at some of the strong dividend payers that are down right now. Because in addition to seeing these high flyers get knocked off their perch, brought back down to earth, I think you're also seeing some really strong companies get brought into that mix. It kind of reminds me of the the sibling who's punished, even though they haven't necessarily done anything wrong. Uh, does that does that analogy make sense to you, or am I stretching there? No, I think that uh, sounds about right. All right, so let's start it out. One dividend payer that's been knocked off a little bit is Texas Instruments, ticker TXN. That's right. So Texas Instruments, longtime dividend payer. I don't know. I think they're short of being an aristocrat, Anthony. We'd have to check, but I know they've been paying a dividend for a long, long time. You know, if you think about the chip space, semiconductors, but a company that's been innovating for for many, many decades and just has just these kind of business lines that really no one has been able to touch for a very long time. And we think of we tend to think of semiconductor and technology companies as being highly disruptive and disrupted over time. And you can see some like a company like Intel has struggled or even a company like Nvidia, which has had an enormous stretch run the last decade or so, they certainly have been through periods of tough times as well. Look at a chart of Texas Instruments and you'll see like you're just this this business that has just been so so steady, a company that's 
you know, grown shareholder value for for decades and steadily paid a dividend. And you know, here's a company that uh, the because of the fears in the market, because of worries about chip supplies, especially uh, their stock has been hit pretty hard. I think it's down about 30-35% from its high. And now you're getting that dividend yield of right around 3%. And it's just one of those companies that I think just has so many competitive advantages, works in markets that no one's going to touch, long-term customers that just rely on their technologies. And so that's one I think passes a lot, checks a lot of boxes for us, for Anthony and me, as we're looking at dividend companies in terms of a company that you can buy, hold, feel reasonably good about their ability to raise that dividend over time and, and grow the wealth of the company. Uh, John Rotansi did a great deep dive on Texas Instruments on a podcast called Chit Chat Money that came out back in April. If you want a uh, if you want a deep dive on uh, Texas Instruments, Rich Templeton strategy, it's uh, it, it was good. I recommend it. How about another beaten down dividend player, Anthony? What you got on Vail Resorts ticker MTN? Yeah. So when we talk about dividend paying companies, they usually have some sort of moat that leads to pricing power. And I think that's exactly what Vail has. They have that pricing power because they own some of the top skiing resorts in North America. And there's just generally a limited supply of ski resorts because there's a limited supply of mountains. And it's also very expensive to build new ones as well. So with the recent market volatility, the stock is down a little bit more than 40% from its high. And it's yielding about 3.6% right now, which is well above its historical yield. Prior to the pandemic, this was actually a company that grew its dividend eight consecutive years and at a pretty good rate as well. So that pricing power definitely showed up there. Um, and then COVID hit, and, and management really had no choice but to suspend a dividend um, since all the resorts were were forced to close. And there's really nothing that that management could have done. As COVID started to subside, the business started to recover, and they they reinstated the dividend last September, albeit at a lower payout. Um, and then they raised the dividend above its pre-pandemic payout this past March. So the business seems to be back. They have a strong track record of dividend growth if we were to look past the the pandemic. So I think this is an interesting income and growth play um, with the stock down about 40% off its high. What what do you think about the climate change issues for for someone like Vale where one of the beefs I hear with them, and that I guess I, that has kept me a little hesitant on the company, is the idea that they have lots of years with minimal snowfall, and then some years with record snowfalls, and that it's it's going to be hard to predict revenues out into the future when you have that much variability in snow conditions. Now, that's a great point, and uh, Vale they've actually made a pretty strong push in recent years to get most of their visitors on annual passes. So that reduces their dependence on um, good weather and, and skiable days, since those passes are already purchased ahead of the ski season. So it, the weather doesn't play as big of a role. But yeah, if the, if more weather keeps on happening, it's definitely going to have an effect on their business down the road. And I'll just add, Ricky, the Vail Pass is it's it's almost like the Costco membership in a way. It's become that way where. There's such loyal customers, loyal visitors to Vail Resorts, and that that cash that just comes in from those passes, you know, whether or not the skis, you know, how to the extent the skiers utilize those passes, uh, it's just it's just a regular stream of cash flow that Vail can rely on. Yeah, and they've they've also cut the cost of a lot of those passes in recent years too, which I, as an investor, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Now with that same framework, let's look at some high dividend payers. First up, Starwood Property Trust ticker STWD, seeing a nine percent dividend yield here. Yeah, is that is that real? 
Yeah, Ricky, it actually, the dividend is for real. For those who don't know, Starwood is a mortgage rate that primarily focuses on commercial lending, but they also have a portion of their portfolio that owns physical real estate. Um, so to me, it's more of a hybrid rate between your traditional equity rate and a mortgage rate. But yeah, over the last four quarters, their dividend payout ratio um, was about 82% of their distributable earnings. And that's a, that's after accounting for a uh, one-time boost in earnings that was related to a, um, a property sale. One thing that is interesting about Starwood's dividend is that they were one of the only mortgage REITs that didn't suspend or cut their dividend during the COVID crash in 2020. So I think that speaks to the broad diversification of their commercial loans where the underlying assets are, are located across varying property sectors and uh, geographical regions. And the fact that owning that physical real estate makes earnings a little bit less volatile. And if they absolutely need to, they can even sell off those properties to, to support the dividend. That's not ideal, but it does give them a little bit more optionality than you'd see in your traditional mortgage REIT. All right, let's look at a SIN stock. You're not going to hear this on other finance shows, so let's talk about tobacco, Altria, ticker MO. That is an 8% dividend yield. Hey, invest in your best vision of the world, but um, this is a lot of dividend yield from a highly addictive product, right, Matt? This it is. And, you know, I. Altria Group, formerly Philip Morris Company, it's it's famous for paying a dividend, a, high, a relatively high dividend, and you know a lot of. Them, I I no no comments here about you know whether how, what you think about cigarette companies or tobacco companies, but uh, there's no question about Altria's incredible performance over over the decades. It's been it's in fact over the last fifty years, it's one of the, I think it's in the top ten still in terms of total return, in terms of best performing stocks. That might have changed recently, but. Anyway, it's it's been a, a wonderful investment for a company that does something I'm sure a lot of people uh, take issue with. But you look at that dividend yield, yeah, it's it's, a, it's over eight percent. And is the dividend for real? Absolutely, it's for real. This is the you know this is the dividend that they're, they're they've been paying. That's what they're guiding for. Is the dividend sustainable? Yep. Anthony, and I looked at it, and you got a payout ratio that's kind of right around eighty percent, but which would seem high for your typical dividend company. But Altria is. Business is relatively more stable, or at least it has been uh, over the decades, and so they've always been comfortable paying a much higher rate of their earnings out as, as dividends. And the third question, you know, has it been a good investment? Well, I already mentioned that it has been, but the numbers for Altria Group are just stunning. Just from the late '80s, if you invested in, invested in Altria Group in the late '80s, reinvested the dividends, you made over a hundred and three thousand percent on your investment. One hundred and three thousand percent. Which is about fifty times more than the return of the S and P five hundred. So, uh, so again, whether you like cigarettes or not, uh, or to, or the tobacco business, uh, there's no doubt that Altria has been just a, a monster of an investment for shareholders. That's one of those high yielding companies out there. I cannot come fault with if you're looking for higher income in the market. Yeah, Altria has got to hey, be on your list. Judgment free zone. There you go. <laughs> this is this is one of those things where I was like, because you know, you you want to you want to have your investments reflect your best vision of the world, how you want the world to progress, and like, there's a part of me for that where I'm like, I don't I don't like investing in private equity companies for that reason. But then there's also a part of me that's looking at a cigarette stock with a dividend yield of eight percent, thinking like, I think they can probably sustain that. Like, this actually might be a great investment, Ricky. If your best vision of the world is is you generating more income for yourself. Uh, it, it all tree could fit that vision. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's look at a dividend trap. <laughs> Potentially, we've talked about some sustaining or sustainable high yielding companies. Let's talk about Vale, not Vale Mountain Resorts, which is paying a 
about a 15% dividend. What's going on with Vale? Right. So yeah, not to confuse, this isn't this isn't Vale the Mountain. This is uh, Vale, the South American mining company, Vale, V-A-L-E. And what's fascinating about this Vale is that yes, they've they've always paid a pretty high dividend, and the dividend is actually variable. This is not typical, but they Vale tends to pay out dividends based on its earnings, not based on what they want to pay, uh, you know, and and kind of adjust as they go. Vale says, "All right, this is what we earned. We earned this amount, so therefore we're going to pay this percentage out." So the first question is: the dividend yield for real? Well, it's actually not for real because if you're an investor and you see this, you're thinking, "Oh my gosh, I can buy the shares, I get almost a 15% dividend yield. That's fantastic." Well, no, that 15% dividend yield is based on the prior 12 months worth of earnings where they paid out. Uh, they earned a lot and they were able to pay out uh, a significant amount to shareholders. So. That is not the, the dividend you're probably going to get by buying the stock today. Now, is that dividend sustainable? Well, it is if Vale, you know, again, earns a lot of, makes a lot of money, and they can pay out a, a higher dividend. But you have to remember, Vale as a mining company has really benefited from a lot of the uh, you know increases in commodity prices, be it iron ore, copper that we saw over the you know over the past few years, and so their earnings have really been boosted by this this business cycle we've been in. If that reverses, or if inflation comes down and they're not earning as, as much revenue from their mining operations, then that dividend yield is probably going to come down. So, is the dividend sustainable? Probably not. Now, final question: Has the stock, has the company's stock, been a good investment? It actually has. It's been incredibly volatile. But if you go back to the early 2000s, Vale's up about 1,700 percent versus the market about 400 percent. So, despite its volatility and despite its dependency on kind of high commodity prices. Vale, V-A-L-E, has also been a fairly uh, good investment. All right, let's finish off with one interesting income opportunity. Anthony, I think you got one with Iron Mountain. Yeah, so Iron Mountain, a uh, former Warren Buffett real estate play in the 2000s. But, but yeah, they've had a ton of different business lines over their history, um, but they're best well-known for their storage business. That business mostly centers around the storage of paper records, fine art storage, entertainment storage, You know, pretty much anything that you can think of. A couple of key advantages to this business, just that the quality of their brand, if, if you're a financial institution or, or healthcare provider and you need to store um, important documents, Iron Mountain was is, is the place to go. Um, I, I think about 95% of the Fortune 1000 still utilizes Iron Mountain services. And the thing I really like is once they get those customers, those customers tend to stay. Um, their their retention rate is about ninety eight percent, and the average storage box in one of their communities stays about um, fifteen years. And one of the reasons for that stickiness is that the Iron Mountain charges service fees for removing records, so that switching cost there tends to to keep those customers um, in lock and. Iron Mountain is in a pretty big portfolio transformation right now. Obviously, our world is shifting away from um, paper storage and more towards digital storage. So they're focusing more on data centers and um, digital storage. So that's really a um, a big driver for the future for them. And looking at their their dividend, it is well covered, um, about sixty eight percent in the most recent quarter, and that's come down a lot from you know this this same time a year ago. And the stock currently yields about five percent. So I think this is still an interesting storage play for for Iron Mountain. And I'll just add, yeah, that one thing we get with Iron Mountain that you don't get with a lot of U.S. REITs is that they have a lot of exposure uh, internationally. They've made some investments in Europe, 
they made they made some investments in India, I believe, Anthony recently, and so you get kind of the old world storage business that's feeding the cash that's generating this this data center business that's actually growing internationally. Anthony Chavone, Matt Argersinger from our Mogul and Real Estate Winners Services. Appreciate you joining the show. Thanks, Ricky. All right, I got one quick plug for you, the listener. If you like this show, you got a stock you want to hear us talk about, please call our voicemail. The number is 703-254-1445. Give us a company, any question you got about it, then maybe we'll make a podcast segment out of it. Really prefer if you call us from somewhere that's quiet, uh, and that means not the checkout line of a grocery store. And uh, again, that number, 703-254-1445. Thanks for joining us, and see you soon. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow 